0: Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Parent Playing Video Games podcast. On today's podcast we're going to be talking about Final Fantasy 6. It is one of my favorite games of all time, one of my favorite Final Fantasies, probably going to be up there in my top two, three Final Fantasies. Um, we're going to go through of course the gameplay, we're going to go through the music, time commitment, uh, talk about you know, speedruns, and of course we're going to come that are our uh rating of sorts, and of course we're going to conclude it. Um, so it was released for the Super Nintendo in the US way back in October of 1994. Um, and I vaguely remember getting this game a little bit, I remember at the time uh, we were living in Trinidad, and I remember we were waiting for this game to come because games in Trinidad didn't really get released very easily. Um, and I feel like they probably were quite expensive, uh, but I remember my dad had a friend who would travel to and from the U.S., and he actually brought the game back for us, and I remember my brother and I were super excited to play it. Um, so it was one of those, you know, classic memories of sorts, so. Uh, but first, I just want to go over what I was playing. Um, so previous episode, I did mention that I was playing, Metro uh, Metroid Prime Remaster, and, uh, very close to the end, and I did beat that. Uh, awesome game, tons of fun. Um, had a lot of fun with it. Uh more fun than I remember having from way, way back when I played it and I don't really remember playing it much other than once, maybe twice back on the GameCube. So yeah, I had a lot of fun with that. Um, then after that I actually started out Final Fantasy twelve. Now I'm actually already eleven hours or so into Final Fantasy twelve. Um so I started playing that. Got to I think I wanna say I'm at eighteen or so hours right now, and I've kinda of put it back down. Um, it's cool. It's um it's a big game, so I'm I think I'm a little intimidated almost by it. I do really like a lot of the systems in the game, but um, I kind of just, you know, fell out of it sort of thing. Um, I, I actually haven't played any more of No Man's Sky either. Um, just like last time, I'm hoping I'm going to play through that either tonight or later on or... This week, I do have a lot of time on the expedition. I think there's still two, three weeks left on it. So, and I'm only—I think I'm on the last phase. So, I should be able to get through that. I believe um, on my own, and that's actually something I haven't actually looked up anything for that expedition. I've done it all on my own. I'm pretty happy about that. So, um, however, right now, what I'm playing—funny uh, enough—I started playing it, and I've now beaten it with Super Metroid. Um, so, uh, because Metroid Fusion came out on the Switch online. I decided to say, hey, I'll play that. But then I'm like, well, why don't I play, you know, three, four, five? So that's Super Metroid, Metroid Fusion, and Metroid Dread. Um, and I didn't really want to do Metroid One because I um, I'm not a huge fan of the first Metroid. The Zero Mission uh, remake on Game Boy Advance absolutely awesome. Really, really enjoyed that. If and when that comes to Switch, I will definitely play that. Uh, Metroid Two is cool. Um, I. I think I played the 3DS remake, but honestly I, I was never a big fan of the 3DS, I, if I did I didn't play much of it. Um, I did play Metroid 2 for the very first time when I actually first got my 3DS, way back when it first came out, uh, it had the virtual console for the Game Boy, and I actually played and beat it, like the old school original Game Boy version. I quite liked it actually, I thought it was a neat story and neat gameplay on there, um, but I decided hey I'm going to start with Metroid 3, Super Metroid, I played this game couple dozen times i feel and hundreds of randomizers i feel and um it's definitely i always say this in my top three games i truly do mean that it is in my top three games it's a really really great game i love it and so i played through that and i actually beat that one this afternoon which again I did it I think my game time was an hour and 41 minutes with 100% item completion i like getting all the items and I was really surprised I did it and I um I'm like oh I think I have all the items but maybe I need some more um so I actually looked it up and it's like oh nope got them all so that was great and actually um I didn't have to look up any of the items I just got them all and I kind of created my own little route it is not a speed run by any means but I do have some speed run strategies that I learned in there just because I played it so much I say I'm fairly good at the game um, but yeah, I started that and then finished that. Uh, great game. That'll definitely be on an episode for sure. Uh, and then I'm going to be probably playing Metro Fusion after that. I'll probably start that this week. So yeah, that is what I have been playing. Now let's talk about the gameplay. Um, We'll start a little bit, you know, this being a pretty intense RPG, obviously there is a story. Um, So with this, the story is about what's called the War of the Magi. So a thousand years ago, uh, there was an event that happened, the War of the Magi, and pretty much since then, magic kind of died out. Uh, Now, in current times, what's happening is that there's this um, group, the Empire, who have kind of found a way to bring magic back into the world uh however with that there are some you know consequence to it and you know the emperor starts getting very powerful and he gets a little dangerous with it so we're kind of starting our adventure right at the beginning here Uh, there's many many characters we'll go through those uh, shortly but you start off with your characters uh, you know they start learning some new things they you know start they they join a group called the returners pretty much people that are you know um against what the empire is doing and they want to actively stop them from taking all this power so you join up with the returners you continue on with this um this part of the game actually is really neat and i'll get a little bit into it later but the game actually splits into three full parties so there's kind of three stories that happen all at once your party gets split You play one, then you play the next, then you play the next. You kind of get a choice of which one you want to play with first, too. And, I mean, not a huge difference. It's pretty early on in the game, so not a big difference. Um, You then kind of get reconnected, and then you kind of go after a uh, character, (laughs) a bad guy, uh, which I'm going to get into big detail later, um, called Kefka. And you fight him, you take him down, and then so on and so forth. This story continues on, and eventually, actually... um, And of course, there's spoilers in this, obviously, and we're not going to not spoil this game, but it actually gets to the point that um, Kefka kind of wins. Uh, He destroys the world. (laughs) It's pretty rare that the villain actually gets what he wants in the game. Um, Other games that we can briefly talk about, Final Fantasy VII, great example. Sephiroth, he calls a meteor, but it doesn't actually hit very, very end of the game. It gets stopped. Um, but yeah, Kefka, he actually is able to destroy the world. And so in the game, the world map is kind of divided into two. So at the beginning of the game, before this event, it's called the World of Balance. And then after this, the World of Ruin. It actually completely changes the map. Um, it does have a similarity to it. There are towns that survive barely, and they're in the same place on the map. But, you know, maybe you can't get there from the south anymore. That The only way to get there is from the east. Uh, And what's cool is that when you get to this part, you have upwards of 12 characters in your party. Uh, You can only have four in your main party at a time. You can switch them out. This was actually one of the first games, I think, the first Final Fantasy that kind of did that, where you had different characters that you can switch out willfully or on on your own. Uh, For instance, in Final Fantasy IV, yes, there are many different characters, but the game kind of just guided you along. And in the story, you happen to have, you know, these five characters, and later on, this one leaves and another one joins or vice versa. So in this, though, you get all the characters, and they're all there. As I said, up to that 14... Or sorry 12 at that point um, to play with and then what happens is the world ends pretty much as we know it and all the characters are kind of scattered at that point so now you're a single character again kind of starting over almost in this destroyed world you then you know go out there and you try looking for your friends there's clues all over the place you can of course eventually get all of them back and back in your party and then you eventually will take on Kefka. I know that's a very, you know, condensed version of how the story goes, but there is a, a limit of time that I want to put on the podcast. I can't get into a huge amount of detail with it. So that's generally a story. You'll have, as I said, all your characters go fight Kefka at the very end. You, know, you beat him. Yay, everyone's good. They saved the destroyed world sort of thing. And that's the story um going on to the actual mechanics of the game uh so as i said there are four members or four party members in your party up to at the same time um they have all sorts of different skills and when in battle it uses the atb system now this was first started with final fantasy 4 it's the active time battle system it's probably my favorite way to uh, play an rpg is that turn-based uh system but with a little bit of activeness, let's call it, in there, uh, versus that full-on term base that you'd see in the original Final Fantasies in Lufia, uh, older Breath of the Wild's, Breath of Fire, not Breath of the Wild, sorry. Um, so this one here is that as time goes on, every uh, character, your characters, the enemies, they all have a time gauge, and pretty much what happens is as you're about to choose your selection, if you want to fight, if you want to do magic, use an item, so on and so forth, um, you'll actually have that timer in the background going and it's kind of like everyone's turn will get there and so if you're waiting there um the enemy's going to take advantage of that. they're gonna their timer will fill up and you don't know what theirs is you don't know where it is in relation to yours on yours each character has their own little gauge so the enemy will just attack and if you decide hey i'm just gonna wait here and do nothing the enemy will just continue attack and attack and attack until something changes you can have a change on the ATB, so you don't have to have it as active. You can have it as wait. What this means is that if you're in a menu, so if you're in your magic menu, in your item menu, um, anything like that, the, the timers will actually just stop for you and the enemy. So if you're a little, you know, trying to figure it out, you're a little bit earlier into the game, that's not a bad way to kind of, I guess, lower the difficulty per se. There's not a difficulty setting with your easy, normal, hard, but That's a way that you can kind of, you know, make things a little bit easier because you can go in there, you can take your time to select and figure out what you want to do. Um, And you can also change the battle speed as well. Now, this is actually fun because the battle speed only changes the speed of the enemies. It is not clear in that at all. You'd think, oh, I'm going to make the battle speed 6, which is the quickest, or 1, which is the slowest. I'm going to make it the quickest to get through the battles quick. That actually would technically be the hardest difficulties, because the enemy speed is so much more, yours has not changed. You put it down to 1, well, now the enemies are going to be very slow compared to you. So that's, again, another way to change the difficulty kind of thing. If the game were to be made now, that would just be the enemies are slowest and its on weight is easy or story mode, right? You go onto the harder difficulties, the enemy speed goes up, maybe they do a bit more damage, you know, whatever it may be. Let's talk more now about the characters in detail to some degree. Again, time limit. So as I said, there's 12 characters before the world ends, but there's actually two characters that you get in the world of Ruin. Uh, so a total of 14 playable characters, which is even now very high. Um, there's a lot of other Final Fantasies that have done the whole swapping people out at will. Uh, I know that um, you know 7 does it, uh, 8 I think does it, 9 for sure does it, uh, 10 yeah for sure, 10 is a cool spin on it actually, um, 12 same thing. Um, but I don't know if any of them have 14 total characters. And I think what they did so amazing about this, you might think, oh 14 characters that that's a lot. That's a lot of characters. So how are they you know how can you get attached to the characters? How do you care if one of them does this or does that or dies or something like that. Um, I don't know how they did it with 14 characters, but I would say 12 of them, the the last two we'll talk about uh, later, but 12 of them those first 12, They all have really cool backstories to get you attached to them. Now let's dive into those characters. I'm going to be talking about them individually, but then also I'm going to be going over their skills. So first character is going to be Uh, Terra. Terra, her skill actually comes later in the game uh, when she learns that she's actually half- Uh, human half esper esper are the magical characters of the game uh we'll get a little bit into those later um so as i said later in the game she gets a skill called morph and pretty much what it does is she's able to morph into her esper form once she's done this her magic power just shoots up through the roof kind of thing and when she does this she's able to cast spells much more powerful and they will do way more damage which is awesome The only thing is you can't just morph at any time. So when you morph, there's actually a little timer that goes down, ticks away, ticks away, ticks away, and then once that's done, she is gone back to her human form. And then to get the ability to morph again, that doesn't just come back right away. Uh, You actually have to fight, and the more uh, AP um, that Terra gets, which is a uh, reward from when you do fights that helps you increase your magic uh, and learn more magic, sorry, once that has built up a certain amount she's able to morph again now the more ap you have the longer you can be in that morph form so let's say for an example if you don't use it for quite some time hey i need to use it on this boss you can be in there for a while but if you use it kind of at every chance you get uh it's going to last very very little amount of time versus on that boss fight will last quite some time uh, so next character is going to be lock Lock is a thief, <laughs> to put it simply, um, he uses daggers, and he can use boomerangs, and his big ska- skill is going to be steal. So steal is that classic RPG skill, uh, steals an item, simple. Later on, he actually can get a unique item that gives him the ability to change his steal into mug. Same thing, steals an item, however, he gets an attack in there, so you do a steal, attack works well because it helps because each time you do steal you lose the ability to do damage on that turn for him so this is kind of uh, puts it together and makes it less uh, of a downside now uh, really at that point in my opinion why would you ever fight when you can just always steal as well as fight you know put them together kind of thing uh next character is celeste or celis uh her skill is Runic. back in the day i didn't really think this was that great uh, but now i think it's really cool it's uh increases the strategy that you can put into the game so pretty much what it is as long as she has a pointy weapon such as a sword or a dagger um doesn't work if she has a you know boomerang or a rod or staff i'm not even sure if she can even equip some of those but um yeah if she has, as long as she has a pointy weapon this will work and pretty much what it does you select it she casts it and all she does is wait now until she actually takes her next turn others can take their turns you can flip to them and take their turn so on and so forth but what happens is if anyone, either an enemy or yourself, casts a single-target or multi-target spell uh, on anyone, Runic will kind of, you know, come into play. She'll actually absorb that spell and then absorb how much MP it cast. So if it casts 12 MP to cast from the enemy, uh, she absorbs it and she actually gets 12 MP back. So handy to bring up her, or to increase her MP. Very useful. Um, uh, the only thing is that if you have a spell that hits everyone, um, it's not a single-target or a single-target, you know, made to go to multiple targets it's not going to do anything so something like ultima uh, high level spell uh, that's not going to be stopped by runic it's just going to hit uh, next we have edgar and then sabin as well i'm going to put those two together because they are brothers um, so they have a unique dynamic there. So what happened was, uh, Edgar is actually the king of a, uh, castle called Figaro. And you see that fairly early on in the game. Um, and Sabin, as I said, is his brother. And pretty much what happened was as the parents died, um, Sabin had a hard time with that and left. He ran away of sorts and Egger had to stay back and take care of the kingdom. Uh, Egger has a co- uh, command called tools. Uh, you actually get a selection of eight tools. Uh, and these are cool because you just select them. So they're kind of like a unique version of fight. You know, you choose which one you want, you choose what enemy you want to attack, and then there you go. So as I said, there's eight tools. Uh, my favorites happen to be the auto crossbow, and it's just a little crossbow that hits all the character, all the enemies on the screen. One of the first times you can use a multi-enemy attack that doesn't cost any MP in the game. So very handy, and it's cool because you can do that from the back row. Uh, quick little explanation of front row versus back row front row you do normal damage take normal damage back row you do half damage and take half damage unless you have a ranged weapon or magic. So, for instance, Edgar uses swords and spears. Well, that's a you know melee short, you know close range weapon. If he were to just do an attack from the back row, it would be half damage. But if he uses his auto crossbow, well, that's ranged damage. So he can be in the back at this point in the game if that's all you're going to use, and he can still do full damage across those enemies. Uh, auto crossbow, as neat as it is, it does um, become less useful as the game goes on. It's just not powerful enough to keep up with the enemies. Uh, that's where things like drill. And Chainsaw come in handy. Uh, Those are both single target attacks. Drill is, it's just a big drill. He drills into the enemy, he goes away, and then Chainsaw is cool. Um, He'll, you know, spin with a chainsaw, do even more damage. Very, very powerful. However, it has a 25% chance of trying to do an instant death attack the downside with that is that that doesn't work a lot of the time so you kind of throw away your turn if he gets the instant death version of chainsaw versus the other one. so i generally go with drill simply because it's a little bit more consistent and now his brother sabin he uses blitz and blitz is kind of a um almost like a street fighter you know fighting game uh skill uh in the uh, the game, what happens is you select Blitz, you put in the specific input. So for an example, the first one, which is Pummel, is left, right, left, confirm. You do that correctly, and then it will do that attack. And kind of the downside with Blitz is that you don't get to choose who it attacks. It just goes and attacks a random character. Uh, so uh, as I said, that's Pummel. Uh, oh, and also if you do the command wrong, you go, let's say, go left, right, right, left, or if you get what it is completely, it'll actually just waste the turn. You'll get another chance at it. So it's kind of a bummer. Uh, only until you hit the Confirm. If you go left, right, right, left, and then hit, you're like, oh, no, I know I know! I messed it up. Go back. You can try again as many times as you want. Uh, but if you hit Confirm, it's just game over kind of thing. Or not game over, sorry. It's just like you've wasted your turn. So, uh, again, Pummel's really good on that one. Aura Bolt's is really cool. That's kind of like a Hadouken, <laughs> which is a classic uh, Street Fighter move, of course. That one's neat. It, again, uses a random attack attack. But it does a really cool animation, I think. Uh, fire Dance is a really neat one as well. It's, uh, <laughs> it creates about maybe six or seven different uh, red flaming Sabins that go across the screen. And this one's handy because it's the first time you can do multiple damage, uh, or sorry, multiple enemies and damage. It's great, but of course, if being fire, if there's a fire enemy, it's kind of useless. Uh, and then the last one I really like is uh, Bumrush, uh, that one's really funny uh, because uh, it's called Bumrush Rush. one thing, but he actually spins around the enemy a bunch, and that does really really powerful damage. One thing to note with uh, Sabin as well is that a lot of his blitzes are actually magic based, so if you actually boost his magic up, he'll actually do more damage. It seems to not make sense. Um, because of course he's a he's a big Hulk and like bodybuilder guy like that likes to fight so it makes no sense that his most of his attacks are magic power but it's just how the game is so I like boosting his magic to get the most out of him. All right, next is Cyan. Uh, he is a samurai, uh, which is a really really cool class of course. Uh, he, um, to be honest with you, is probably one of the worst characters in the game. Uh, his stats are not very good. Uh, his speed is the worst in the game, which is hilarious because there's some. There's a child in the game, there's an old man that casts magic, and their speed I think is better. Um, So, nonetheless, Sion is a samurai. His uh, unique skill is called Bushido. Uh, This one is similar to Blitz in that when you select it, you don't choose who it hits, it just goes. The difference is that instead of having to put in a set of commands to actually get him to do them, it actually just is a timer of sorts and it's um it, it's a one to eight and each number corresponds with an attack the downside is is that it takes so long for that timer to go up and in the, in this time if you have that active uh, time battle going on the enemies are just hitting you that's it There's nothing stopping them um so it, again with his stats being very poor and his regular attack being weak and then now his, uh, his bushido being very slow he i don't think is that great because of that uh his backstory is great but his actual in battle uh, skills are pretty weak Uh, but again some of the favorites are uh, retorts or sky is what it's called now pretty much what that one does is it is a counter attack so similar to runic you cast it you wait and if he gets hit during this time he uh does a quite a powerful counter attack so really handy in that but if he never gets hit you're kind of just sitting there waiting for him to you're you're kind of wasting his turn. So if you know, if it's like just him on the screen or him and another character, that's a really good one to use. But if there's all four of your characters there, you have a one in four chance to get hit. Um, And then he has Quadra Slam, or sorry, Flurry and Tempest. Quadra Slam is the old name. Uh, Those ones are the same, except one is a level, I think, uh, yeah, one's level four, and one's level seven on that gauge, so really all it does is that it hits four random characters, um, now if you do the Tempest, which is the more powerful one, it's just more powerful, uh, versus Flurry is, it's okay, but again, the downside with this, again, is that it's hitting random characters, and if you're in the back row, it does half damage, so you have to be in the front, you have to do all that, it's just, and again, getting up to that seventh one takes a very, very long time, so I don't, particularly think it's worth it so again science definitely uh, low tier on the uh, list Alrighty, so shadow is our next character now shadow is just cool he is a mysterious character you don't see his face it's cloaked by his uh you know head wrap and he's a ninja which everyone loves ninjas right um so he is a kind of a glass cannon he can equip two weapons when you have the uh, certain item that genji glove i think it is or genji glove i'm not sure on pronunciation so you can have two swords or two daggers and he can do big big damage with that uh, his special skill though is throw and that one's cool because you can throw ninja stars you can throw skeins which are elemental so there's fire water lightning that kind of thing and they're just pretty much an elemental damage that hits every every character or every enemy and i think that's great because if you know an enemy weak against lightning throw the lightning one takes a good chunk of their health away Um, He also has a sort of secondary thing, which he has a dog called Interceptor. The dog isn't in battle with you, uh, but every now and then, Shadow will kind of do almost like a block, and it'll show Interceptor's face, and he'll come off, or sorry, from off-screen, all the way across, and he'll give the enemy that hit hit Shadow a bite, and then run off again, and usually that damage is quite high. So, really handy, and the nice thing is, is that Shadow won't actually take damage at that time either. It's almost like interceptors jumping in front of him and then, you know, responding kind of thing. Uh, Gao is our next character. Gao is (laughs) an interesting character. Um, He kind of has like two special things. It depends on where you are in the game. So there's a big field in the game uh, called the Velt, and that is where uh, any character or, sorry, any enemy that you've ever fought will appear on the Velt. So, and the reason being is that Gao's main special is called Rage, and what that does is uh, you can kind of like impersonate an enemy of sorts that you've seen on the Velt. So when he's on the Velt, he gets a skill called Leap. So you go into battle, you leap on the enemies, it ends the battle, you fight several battles more, you see Gao, he rejoins your party. Simple way to put it. While he's away, though, he's learned about the enemies that you fought. So you can do this over and over and over again, and you can get some really, really cool things, or cool uh, skills through his rage. The downside is, though, is that when you choose a rage to use, he may not always do the more powerful attack. Let's say if he's uh, doing straight cat, he may not do cat scratch. He may just do a normal attack, which is okay, but cat scratch does... Tons of damage. Like when you're doing like a 100, 150 damage, catch scratch may do a thousand damage. So that's huge. But there's two things. One, it's like blitz. It's like Bushido. You don't choose which enemy it hits. And two, while he's doing his rage, you cannot control him. He can't stop. He can't heal. The only way he'll ever stop is if he dies or the battle ends. Now, I like consistency and un. I'm not a huge fan of unpredictability in the game uh, or in the fights. So. Gao, as cool as it is, um, some of his rages are fantastic. Most of them are absolute crap. So, <laughs> if you want to, you can put in the work and put in the grind to get the good rages, but it does take a very long time. Uh, Setzer is next on our list. Setzer is—he's uh, a cool character. He's got a cool backstory. He's a gambler, and he also is the owner of the only airship in the world. So he's a pretty important character when you think of it. When you need to get around, um, he has a his weapons are actually dice. Um, or cards because you know gambling casino that kind of thing the dice are a very interesting kind of mechanic of weapon um you roll it and it's just random pretty much it's not like you do oh because you it's it's not like a weapon with you know 80 damage on it it's just like it's low it's just whatever it is and whatever the dice rolls is pretty much what it gets it does some multiplication that's your damage but if you get you know all ones you do some pretty low damage but if you get all sixes yeah you can do a lot of damage but again, it's random. And as I've said, I like I don't like unpredictability. Uh, his special skill though is slots, which is a similar sort of idea. You can get three sevens, gives you lucky seven, does some magic damage, you can get three of his airship symbols, a high wind. Sorry, no, that's not an NC seven. Um I can't remember what the ship's called. But you get three of the ships. And then it actually calls in the airship for like a bombing strike. Um, you can also get one where it kills the enemies. Just kills them. And that one works on every enemy I believe. Including I think the last boss. I'm not 100% sure. But I'm pretty sure it even does most if not all bosses. But then on the flip side you can get one where it does the exact opposite. And it kills you. And it's completely unavoidable. So if you get that it's game over. And that time it's actually game over. Uh, next is Realm and realm is a small girl um, who is uh the granddaughter of strago so i'm going to do similar with agar and Saban this is strago and realm um so uh realm she is an artist and so she has the ability to sketch and that one's cool because what she'll do is she'll let's say you're fighting um any enemy she'll do the sketch command if it's successful which it isn't always she'll do that and then she'll kind of sketch the enemy out and then they'll do one of their attacks on themselves kind of thing um, so let's say if it's a bomb uh, or a balloon enemy you know those fireball things you do that it'll do a fire attack on on the enemy in front of them now of course that's kind of useless because the bomb is fire so it'll probably just heal them um, but then you can get an item later on again similar where it goes from steel to mug you get something where you can control what that does she does that And now the enemy is actually under her control. So when her turn shows up, you're not using Realm anymore. You're actually using the enemy. And you can select which attack to do. And then attack on either your party, which would be silly. Or, of course, one of the enemies that's elsewhere on the screen. That one's really cool. Because you can actually get some really neat skills or neat damage from doing that. Uh, The only downside is Realm is fairly weak outside of all that. She doesn't really have good... Like, her magic is very good. Uh, But you already have two really good magic uh, people. That's Terra and Celis. So I was like, well, if you already have two, do you need a third? Um, Now, Strago, her grandfather, he uses lore, which is blue magic, which has come up in other games, other Final Fantasies. It's pretty much like enemy magic. Um, So, for instance, an enemy will cast a spell, a unique spell, if it hits Strago and he survives... I think he has to survive. He will learn that magic, and then he can use that going forward. Just cost MP, and then there you go. So that one's really cool. But Strago is kind of similar to Sion. He's just a crap character overall. So um, the blue magic, as neat as it is, there's many other things I'd use ahead of that. So it's kind of like a eh, I don't I don't know I don't really I just don't really care. Um, now I'm gonna go back to Shadow a little bit in that realm and Shadow have a relationship and i don't know exactly what it is but i believe that shadow is actually realm's father um and this is a a, where the game has a really cool storytelling is that to learn more about their relationship you actually have to sleep at all sorts of different inns around the world and then randomly if you have shadow in the party there will be dreams that will expand on their backstory kind of thing um, again, I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm pretty sure it's father-daughter. Um, so, yeah. I, one day I'll see all the dreams. I remember seeing a couple, but I haven't really, again... It's, it's a massive game in that case. I haven't really grinded to get all that. Uh, now, the last playable character in the world of Balance is Mog. Mog, sorry. Uh, Mog is a Moogle, which is a very, very uh, common uh, character in the Final Fantasy series now. I don't know if Mughals existed before this, if he was the first, or if there were others. i again not too sure off the top of my head. So Mog is uh, one thing, very cute, but other, his special skill is dance. So there's eight dances. Now this one's really cool because it all is based on the environment. So if Mog fights in a field, he will learn the dance that is associated with that field, or sorry, with that environment. Uh, If he dances in a cave, same thing, dances in the snow, So, or sorry, vice in those places, he'll learn them. And then what happens is when you choose one of the dances, one of those eight, it will, it actually changes the background. So let's say you're fighting in a cave and you say, well, I want to do the dance that's of the field. It'll actually change the background to that. And also when Mog does the dance, if it's not the one of where he is, so if he doesn't do the cave one, he does the field one, and he's in the cave, he may stumble. It's not always 100%. Anyway, when he does the dance, it goes through, and then he has a chance, similar to Gao, when he's doing this, you can't control him. It won't stop until he dies at a battle ends. Uh, and pretty much what happens is he will do one of four attacks that is based off of that dance, so based off of the field. So it may have a healing attack, it may have a damage attack, it may uh, have a damage on everyone attack, all sorts of different things. Uh, one thing that's really interesting is that uh, um, if you don't do a very specific thing in the world of balance before the world ends you can only get seven of the dances you can only get one of the dances in one very specific area and it's kind of a a long trek and a pain to do it so it is something that probably gets missed a decent amount um so that is the 12 playable characters that are all in the world of balance now when uh you get into that world of ruin and then you start you know kind of going around and collecting the characters again um there's two more characters that you can get um and that is gogo in umaro uh so gogo is up in an island on the northeast called triangle island and you actually get eaten by this big um almost like uh sandworm thing you get eaten and then you're inside its belly and it's like a dungeon you get through the end of it you get to gogo and then there you go gogo uh joins your party gogo no one knows who Gogo is, what Gogo is, anything like that. The big thing that Gogo can do is that it can mimic. And so let's say if um, you know Sabin does his big bum rush blitz, you can do mimic and what happens is, is that whatever the command that happens right before you choose mimic, or sorry, right app, sorry, the command that happens right before he does mimic, he'll just do again. So, let's say you do bum Rush, you do Mimic, he'll do bum Rush, even though he can't actually do it, but he can Mimic it doing it. You can also completely modify his, uh, you know, fight menu and change things up in there. Um, so, you can throw more things on there as well as the Mimic. So, that one is um, a challenge to, you know, get right, uh, because, again, same sort of thing. He doesn't really do much else than that, so, yeah. Uh, Umaro is found in some mountains. He, uh, right off the bat, auto-attacks. All he does is attack. You, don't even, you never even see his menu. Um, you can equip a couple different items for his attacks to change a little bit, get a little bit more powerful. He is quite powerful. He can take a hit, but again, because he is uh, auto-attacking all the time, he kind of um, is less versatile. So now instead of having four characters that maybe can throw a potion out there or an elixir or something like that, uh, you have three uh again he can do some good damage but he attacks something randomly unpredictable so on and so forth um so earlier i didn't mention uh with uh, terra about what espers uh so espers um are that magical being in the world and uh they live in their own world sort of thing the worlds do connect that's how magic comes around now at some point in the game uh, later on, you're actually able to kind of equip espers. Uh, they become what's called Magicite, which is kind of the crystallized form of an esper. So when you have them, there's up to 27 in total in the whole game. Uh, there's one that you either turns into a sword or an esper i'll mention that in a minute uh but pretty much what it is is that you equip the espers and when you have the espers on there as you fight battles and you get ap you will learn the spells that that esper can provide to you uh so you know maybe it's like cure and fire or lightning whatever it may be each esper has its own thing the higher level in the later end game espers is that they'll have really really cool spells really unique spells such as ultima which as i said earlier is that big uh, high damage everyone attack Uh, quick, which allows you to do two turns in one go. Those kind of things are, you know, the higher end. They take more time to learn, so on. Uh, Also, when you have an Esper equipped on someone, you can only have one equipped at a time on each person, um, is that in the battle, one time only, each battle, you can summon them. So that's the summons of uh, this game. They're called so many different things across the Final Fantasy series. In this one, they're called Espers. Uh, Now, as I mentioned, there is one Ragnarok. You can either, at one point... You can turn it into an esper into magicite and then equip it and that's how you learn ultima and as i said ultima is that fantastic spell so again the downside is that you convert it to the magicite you now have ultima but when you summon it it does something called metamorphose or metamorphosis um, and pretty much what it does it transforms the enemy that you're fighting into an item um, There's very, very few times that this is actually useful, in my opinion, so the summon isn't really the important thing, but the learning of Ultima is something that's really important. When you turn it into the weapon, yes, it's a fantastic weapon, Um, it isn't the best weapon in the game, but it's definitely, I think, uh, in the top three, so, but you do that, but then you now can't learn Ultima, however, uh, you can learn Ultima in different ways. I think there's a specific shield that you can equip called the Paladin Shield, which is actually the Curse Shield originally. And then you have to. There's a whole thing to make it the Paladin Shield that uh, allows you to learn Ultima, I think. Um, so even if you don't have the Esper, there's still ways to learn it to some degree. Um, and then. Uh, oh, that was it for Espers. Uh, that's pretty much all I want to talk about. That Again, there's a lot to talk about on them. As I said, there's 27. Uh, I don't have the option or the time to go through them all. Uh, some of the classics are in there. You know, Ifrit and uh, Ramu, Shiva, the uh, Sirens in there, and Bahamut or Bahamut. Uh, Those ones are all there, the classic ones. Um, I don't know when they all came in. I know Final Fantasy IV had summons with Rydia as a summoner, so I know a lot of those ones are in there. So, um, yeah, again, there's some great ones in there. They teach you the spells, and they have some passive skills or passive abilities uh, improvements as well. There's one more thing I wanted to kind of talk about when it comes to fighting, is there's something called desperation attacks. Now, this is kind of the original limit break uh, Final Fantasy VII and many other games since, is that when you get take a certain amount of damage, you can do your limit break. So the desperation attack, so it's a, kind of like a, a formula of sorts, is that when you're critical, which is when you're you know crouched down, your health is low, I believe it's when you have one-eighth health, Um, you have a 1 in 16 chance of doing the desperation attack when you choose the normal sort of attack command. Now, these are ultra powerful. Like, they can take out a lot of enemies, do huge damage. But again, the chance of that when you're critical, so you have to be low on health, so you're maybe one or two hits away from dying. Um, And you have a 1 in 16 chance of when you just use the attack command. And that's actually probably the least used command when I play. Uh, The uh, command that I would use are you know like Bushido and Blitz tools and just using magic in general but just attacking generally I play the game not with that so I've only ever seen I think one or two myself just playing the game I did watch a YouTube video of uh, all of them in there I thought that was you know cool Uh, they've cool names and like they're all relative to the person that's doing it it's not just like they're all doing the same kind of thing Um, they're all pretty unique Uh, so I definitely recommend uh, taking a look at that Uh, if you're interested in that Uh, next i want to talk about some specific bosses in the game and the first i want to mention is ultros now (laughs) ultros is a uh, an octopus and the first time you see him you actually see him several times throughout the game i think three or four times and he is funny like you'll hit him with fire and he's you know i oh, was like oh, i'm a cooked squid or you know you'll hit him with Saban's punch and he's like oh he's like oh some muscle-bound bodybuilder guy like he, he has some funny quips and the more times you see him um he just has more and more funny things to say kind of thing he eventually gets a buddy called typhoon who is gross because he sneezes on you and he kind of kicks you out of the battle uh, but ultras is a really funny character uh phantom train so the reason i'm bringing this up is uh the train's one thing you're actually fighting a moving train so you're running the whole time in front of a train so you guys can run real real quick but the really cool thing that i bring this up is that Sabin has another blitz that i didn't mention earlier called suplex and anyway, pretty much what it does he jumps grabs the enemy lifts them up and slams them down He jumps off the screen slams them down upside down you can suplex phantom train um so in a lot of the times on speedruns at uh, you know games done quick events which is a uh, biannual um, event to raise money while doing speedrunning um they almost always if this is being played during an event it will people will always vote to have the train suplexed it takes time it wastes time but uh, it's a very funny and confusing uh, way to attack an enemy uh, the next one that I, I one of my favorite enemies because of the music with it Uh, which is absolutely amazing, is the Atma weapon. And that is a sort of, uh, it's a mythical and magical beast that is on the floating continent uh, in that sort of halfway point of the game that is a very difficult boss fight. Um, And he does tons of different attacks and tons of damage and all that stuff. And uh, just great music, great fight, like really intense. And one of the cool things about that fight is that actually... um, If he has zero MP, he dies. So there's actually a strategy to do a spell called Osmos, which absorbs MP, or Rasp, which just kind of attacks MP sort of thing. They don't do a massive amount. He has a large amount, but that's actually a a legitimate strategy on how to actually kill the enemy. And because it's a mythical beast of magic, I guess behind the story of it is that if there's no more magic in him, no more MP, it dies. It, it has no life force sort of thing. Uh, another one that's neat, I guess another eight, is the legendary dragons. In the world of Ruin, there are eight legendary dragons. And they're all the kind of, you know, the elements. There's uh, the wind dragon, storm dragon, fire dragon, ice dragon, earth dragon, all that stuff. Uh, they're all quite difficult fights. They're scattered around the world in the world of Ruin. So you have to kind of hunt them down because once you defeat all eight, you actually get the crusader um magicite which teaches you some pretty unique spells um so it's cool if you want to get all the espers you have to yeah find all those legendary dragons and as i said they're not easy um and then of course kefka uh we've already talked to him about him a few times he is a horrible horrible person an amazing villain because he wins and he's a psychopath to be honest with you and he's a clown um And the final boss, I think technically the final boss is something like 15 to 18 different actual bosses all in this massive tower. And so you get to the base of the tower. You fight the, you know, let's say the three or four that are there. And then the screen shakes up to the next level and so on and so forth until you get to Kefka. Um, And again, because of that, it's like a, I want to say a 20-minute boss fight because the music, it's called Dancing Mad. um, That is a 20-minute track. And it is amazing from beginning to end so um the way it goes through just different segments of it because it depends on how long you're on each fight but it's a really really long fight and a very challenging fight if you're not prepared for it um so yeah he's a he's a great evil evil character and a great final boss for sure so Okay, now we're going to talk on music. I spent quite a long time on the gameplay and all that stuff, but let's talk a little bit about the music. Now, on this one here, uh, the composer for the music is Nobuo Uematsu. I'm pretty sure I'm saying that correctly, but if I'm not, I do apologize. Um, He is my favorite composer of all time. He did the majority of the Final Fantasies, I believe up until... um, I want to say 10. He may have been working on 12, um, but... Uh, he has been sort of a, uh, I guess, a consultant of sorts for a lot of music. Um, the Final Fantasy VII Remake, for example, he did the original music. He was involved in the uh, remakes music because that music is just top tier as well, like the way they redid some of those classic sounds or songs. Um, same thing with like things like the Pixel Remasters. I know he's involved with things still. Um, so he is definitely uh, easily my favorite composer. Final Fantasy music is my favorite video game music ever. Um, he really pushed the Super Nintendo to the limit. Um, and with that one specifically, uh, there's a uh, opera house scene. And to get into the detail a little bit, uh, the the group has to uh kind of play in the opera, and Celeste actually looks just like Maria, who is the you know uh, uh, actress who has been kidnapped actually by Setzer. Again, the story is really cool and it's hard to get into in a short amount of time, but pretty much uh, the opera house scene is fantastic. There's all sorts of different uh, tracks in it. Um, they're all really good. And then you actually sing as Celis in the opera. Now, of course, it is not English. It is not voice acted. Um, but you actually go through it and she's singing and it's a very um, emotional song. Just not even the, the main story of it, but for me personally, the... Um, reason is that when, when we played the Super Nintendo and had it many, many years ago, um, we eventually got rid of it and I eventually got a new Super Nintendo and I eventually got, or sorry, actually I was playing on the PlayStation, I should say. So I was playing on the PlayStation and I finally got Final Fantasy VI. Um, I was so excited and I was playing it and I was loving it except for those load times, but most of the time I was loving it. And then when it got to the opera house scene, I just, it hit me so hard. It just took me back to when I originally played it. And it's something that has stuck with me. And I feel like that happened for me. in I want to say either the late nineties, early two thousands, here we are 2023. And I still feel the same way when I hear that music in the game. Um, And especially the pixel remasters, I haven't fully watched it because it's something that's so important in my heart is that i don't want to watch that i want to experience it so that's part of why i'm so excited to uh play the pixel remasters when it does finally come out for the consoles in springtime here and that that'll i think that will take me back to that moment when i played it on the playstation to when i played it originally and i think it's going to be something Uh, really really fantastic for me so as I said he pushed the Super Nintendo limits with that he was uh, met with restrictions but he did so many good songs and as I said Dancing Mad is a 20 minute long song now on some of my favorites, um, so the opening theme is um, just super <laughs> great, to put it simply, um, but when the opening theme happens in this game, it uses that Super Nintendo Mode 7 graphics where it's kind of behind um, three characters uh, heading towards the first town in the game, and the song that comes on is just so good and it matches the tone so well that it really makes you feel... Like, you're going on this adventure, but it's also a very soft and gentle song. So it's kind of leading you into kind of the unknown sort of thing. Um, The next song is... uh, It comes up on my playlist all the time, of my video game playlist, and I seem to listen to it every single time. It's called Slam Shuffle, and it's actually the song of a town called Zozo, which is a really neat part of the game where it's kind of like... They say, well you can't trust anything that anyone says in Zozo. So everyone's lying to you, and you have to take all those lies and figure out the truths from it. Um, So it's a neat part of the game, Uh, there's rain going on all the time, so it it kind of fits that really well. Um, Devil's Lab is a really cool song. So this is part of what's called the uh, Magitech Facility part of the game, where you're going in a really, again, cool part of the game, similar to the Slime Shuffle. And I think maybe that's why I like these songs so much, because I like the parts of those, uh, sorry, those parts of the games. Uh, and so Devil's Lab is really cool, it's got a really punchy sound to it, and it fits the area of the game very well. And finally, Dancing Mad, as I said, uh, just a, a very good and very long song, But really, really quite fitting, especially the name, fitting for the final boss with Kefka. Okay, so now we're looking at the time commitment. So this one here, if you're interested in it, that's awesome. However, it is a very long game, especially for the Super Nintendo. Um, When we look at that how long to beat, we're looking at the main story of 35 hours. That's a lot of time. I mean, as I say, if you can get, you know a couple hours a night that's great but even let's say at two hours a night even three hours a night you're looking at you know two weeks minimum of just this is all you're playing for three hours a night to get just through the main story it's a big game you go on that completionist part of things we're looking at sixty three and a half hours that's massive that's even big for these days I actually just saw an article about final fantasy sixteen is going to take thirty to thirty five hours to beat and then something like seventy or eighty hours to complete That's pretty much on par with this. And this is from 1994. So again, it's a lot of commitment for sure. Um, It's a great game to get into. It is something that I think can grab a lot of people. If you're interested in the the kind of classic JRPGs with that term based I know a lot of people aren't too keen on that. Especially nowadays because you have a lot of games that are not like that. You have more action RPG games. So uh, you kind of want to be doing something all the time. So I can understand that. Again, me personally, I do like those uh, turn-based games, Um, so yeah, the How Long to Beat definitely is a good indication that it is a long game, Uh, and um, there's a lot of reading in it. There's no voice acting, Uh, so if you're a fan of having the voice acting but not the reading, it makes it a little bit more of an adventure, let's call it. Maybe not the best for someone who isn't really looking to read too much. Um, Now on the flip side the speedrun of it now again speedrun of a classic JRPG sounds ridiculous So we've got a couple categories. I mean, it's quite a few but the ones that I'm kind of want to point out We have any percent glitchless any percent sketch and kafka and narsh Now the any percent glitchless any percent sketch are actually uh, the world record is held by the same person It's dying underscore Nutari. Uh, I think I'm saying that correctly. and um, percent glitchless is 4 hours 59.45, and sketch is 2 hours 29.52. Um, sorry, 3 hours 29.52. Now, again, as I said, the main story from How Long to Beat is 35 hours. And this person has done it in less than 5 hours with no glitches. Um, I, I generally have no clue how. Um, and, again, to have that dedication to play a massive game over and over and over again when the speedrun records are, well, the world records five hours. Uh, most people are doing it in much more than that. Um, with Sketch, that one there uses a, uh, a glitch, that uh, Realm uh, with her sketch ability um, i don't know the exact details of it is pretty much a glitch that allows obviously things to uh change in that and because it's about an hour and a half uh almost to the exact exact hour and a half uh quicker than the end of sync glitch list now now kefka and narsh is quite unique so there's actually a tournament uh, a few years ago now several years ago uh where that one what it is is that that part of the game to get to kefka at narsh where remember i said the the groups kind of split and then they eventually get back together when they get back together is when they actually fight kefka at narsh and you're like oh wow, you're fighting the final boss so early i mean you are but also um you're not <laughs> he's not really the final boss at that point kind of thing he's just like you you dispatch him but you're not killing him at that point um so that one actually has been held by toru 1988 Is the uh, person with that record for one hour twenty-one and fifty-five. Now, what's really neat about that one versus, let's say, an eighty percent glitchless, is that the strategy changes a little bit. On Any% percent glitchless, you may need to go to certain places to get, you know, a specific item or do a certain thing to, you know, advance later in the game. Whereas at Kefka and Nars, you're kind of like, well, I don't care about later in the game because I'm only playing up until this point. So you're able to have um, different sort of strategies. Which probably end up being quicker because you just don't need to worry about, you know, later past Kefka and Narsh kind of thing. Okay, now on to the kiddable section of the game. So, um, I'll start off. The controls are simple. It is a 2D, 2D game. Um, you have you know, up, upright, down, left kind of thing. Uh, so, you don't have a huge amount of complexity with that. Uh, The Blitzes can be tricky. I mean, even I have some troubles with it sort of thing. Um, I do believe in the Pixel remasters, the Blitzes, when you choose Blitz, you choose which one you want to do, and then it shows you what you need to press at the top of the screen. And I think that's really a nice quality of life improvement because I can't remember all the Blitzes because I only use a handful. Well, if I want to use that one that I don't use all the time, I'm like, well, what is that again? I have to kind of scratch my head, and then you can't. There's no reference point in the original game or even you know remakes of it, so you kind of have to you know just know them all or have them written down somewhere. Uh, but this, yeah, with the blisters on the pixel remaster being at the top, kind of nice. Um, the story is quite intense. There's a lot of reading. Um, again, this is pre-voice acting. You have to read a lot of things, so this is where it may be a little bit less um, attention-grabbing for a kid. Uh, they may need to be older, is really what it comes down to. They have to be invested in the story to actually continue, just like any book. If you're not really keen on the book, are you going to finish it? Um, this is a book uh, with the, the video game on top of it kind of thing, um, so there's a lot of reading Um, now if you, uh, if, if let's say the kid wants to actually learn more reading, I think it's a good option in that sense. Um, I know of a lot of people who have, um, either learned English by playing Final Fantasies or actually learned some Japanese by playing Final Fantasies and I think that's really neat I mean I've I actually tried a little bit one time a long time ago to try and learn the Japanese version of it and I did it. it just flew right over my head (laughs) I couldn't figure it out sort of thing um the story is fairly linear there are some side quests um so When it comes to linear stories, I personally like that more because it gives me that direction of, you know, go here, then here, then here, then here. Again, it's a book. You read from, you know, the beginning of the book to the end. If you have a whole bunch of side quests, you get halfway through the book, and now you can choose one of seven other books to read through. And then this is the main one, but the seven other ones look good, too. It's like, that's a bit much for me. Um, In the world of Ruin, it does get very open in that sense. The very beginning... It's um, quite linear, but yeah, later on in that World of Ruin it isn't. Um, However, once you get there, you kind of have a good feel of the game, so you're not kind of lost and trying to stumble your way through everywhere. So I think that helps. Uh, The ATV system, as I said earlier, because it can be set to wait... And because you can set your battle speed to the slowest, and again, that only affects the enemies, I think that helps a lot with that difficulty. It allows uh, anyone, kids, adults, whoever it may be, to be able to kind of, like, think about what they want to do as their decision. They don't have to kind of, like, make quick decisions because, you know, they're getting attacked. So I think that helps a lot because, again, it kind of, like, lowers the difficulty in some way, Um you can play it on a lot of modern consoles as well, so you don't have to go out and buy a Super Nintendo um, it is on um, uh, the, I think it's on the Super Nintendo Classic, uh, the Pixel Remasters are all available as of right now, iOS, Steam uh, and as I said, it's going to be on uh, PlayStation 4 and Switch in the spring um, oh, and then they're also on Android as well um, the Pixel Remasters, so I think that would be the best way to play it uh, right off the bat Um, Just because, again, the quality of life increases and being able to play on a modern console, I think, is a a very big and important uh, improvement. There is co-op in the game, and I think it's actually a really neat one. Because what it is, is that during the story, uh, sorry, outside of battle, it's single player. There is no co-op, there's no two player, nothing. It's all single. But in the battles, what can happen is, let's say, you have your four slots... And uh, your four you know four characters you know let's say let's say you just call them from the top to bottom you have one two three four what you can do is in the main menu you can go to the config you'd say hey I want to play two player and you say well player one controls one and two player two controls three and four and so that's neat because then what you can do is you can put let's say I'm playing with you know my boy when he gets old enough to actually play this oh that reminds me he is not two months old uh, my wife pointed this out I said two months old last time he's two years old in a couple days actually so um yeah there you go make sure he's the right age that's how he can try and play games right now so um yeah when he's a little bit older he can play and let's say he really likes edgar and Cellus. he really likes those characters well i can put edgar and Cellus in slot three and four i can then have player two be on slot three and four so in battles he gets to control them and i'm right next to him so i can help him if he needs has any questions or he wants some advice or if he just wants to do it on his own he's there i'm also there with my characters to support his characters so if he makes a choice and maybe gets. a little bonk on the head and needs some health or healing well i can i can go ahead and heal him he can focus on attacking because that's always going to be more fun and then i can focus on the healing side of things so the co-op is not the greatest but it's also a really neat way to do it because if it was just two adults you know the second adult's going to get bored because they're not doing anything about fights and only two characters in the fight they're like eh, i don't really care but with a kid is that they can enjoy the story we can read it together go through it together Make decisions together, but I'm the one controlling, so they don't have to worry about the controls. And then when it gets to the fights, they're actively, you know, helping me. I think is a great way to put it, is That they're going to help, uh, you know, take down those enemies versus just me being there and them telling me what they want to do. So I think that's uh, fairly kiddable in that sense. Okay, so now we're at the conclusion. Um, I I think it was fairly obvious um, in my talking of this game. Uh, this is 10 out of 10 I know last time Super Mario World was 10 out of 10 this is a 10 out of 10 I'll be honest I I'm gonna review games that I enjoy and quite like there's a really good chance quite a few of them are gonna be 10 out of 10 but that's okay and it is one of my top uh Final Fantasies uh, for sure top three uh this uh four seven I mean heck even seven remakes up there it is so incredible good anyway so Final Fantasy 6 uh 10 out of 10 for me the music is some of if not the best in the whole series um i would say it has the most amount of great tracks there may be some uh, songs from other games that have great tracks this one has the most amount of great tracks so many are so good um the characters all have great backgrounds as i said except for gogo and omaro those two are kind of uh, very watered down and thin. Uh, they're, you know, a tea with the tea bag in there for four seconds kind of thing. They're pretty light, um, where every other character has a, an amazing background, really cool stories. I wish I could get into it, but honestly, I did that with a good chunk and I had about almost an hour just on the character stories I didn't want to make this a two hour plus long episode it would have been too much um, so if we ever want to go through that maybe I'll go through and put something out there for that um, the gameplay classic Final Fantasy it is the classic JRPG ATB it is what I grew up with as I said we grew up with the Super Nintendo in the house we had Final Fantasy 4 which started with the ATB we had Final Fantasy 6 which just took everything of 4 and just like punched it up to 11 kind of thing and it, it just everything was so good with it and it's when i play i know i said final fantasy remake sorry seven remake is fantastic i really enjoy it. and i do the combat is still something that's tricky for me final fantasy 15 i played i think 15 hours that i could not figure out the combat to be honest with you i just i was never successful with it so um the action rpgs were always a challenge for me so i like the classic turn-based rpgs and that's gonna do it uh for this episode um so i would like to of course thank you very much for listening um uh the again next episode is going to be in that two weeks um i'm enjoying the two weeks it gives me some time to play some games but also some time to you know do many of the other life things so yes in two weeks we'll have that um i will also continue ending with a dad joke uh where do generals keep their armies? In their sleevies. Uh That one uh, <laughs> I actually saw recently. And also my wife knew it as well. So that makes it even more fun. So with all that said, I would like to again thank you again. Um, give your kids a hug. If you don't have a kid, hug someone you love. Uh, stay well and we will see you next time. Thank you.